going to be looking in Luke 19. So if you have your Bibles, turn to that. And let's uh, share together about Palm Sunday. This is a great Sunday of the Lord and for the Lord because He's coming into Jerusalem and they are praising and rejoicing that He is coming in to Jerusalem. Uh, In Luke 19, verse 29, it says, As He approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. I want to give you a commercial break here. Uh, One of the blessings of ministry, and there are many, but one of them is if you can stay at a place a long time, you get to see residual blessings in those long, lengthy ministries. Yesterday, I did a wedding for Miranda Zoller and her new husband, David Dunham. And I was uh, uh, with the rehearsal. Her dad, Jeff, came up to me and he said, You remember when you tried out at River Oaks 23 years ago? I said, uh, Vaguely. He said, Well, I asked you a question. I said, How long are you going to be here? And I told him, I looked at, at Miranda, and I pointed at her, and I said, I want to do her wedding. <laughs> well, I did it yesterday. So, praise the Lord. It was fun. And guess what? I get to do pages in another month. So, once I've done pages, God can call me home. We're, we're good. So, I didn't say I was leaving. If God calls me home, if we raise a million dollars. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's already been tried, hasn't it? <laughs> I need Sam to share that again. Amen. So, two disciples must have wondered about what Jesus told them to do because none of the gospel accounts about the ministry of Christ ever mention him riding any animal to get from any place to another place. He always walked. Very rarely did he ride. He walked hundreds of miles up and down the Holy Land. But no mention of ever riding except a boat across the Sea of Galilee. So it's kind of an unusual command for him to say, Go to the village, there'll be a man with a colt, bring the colt. And it's even more interesting that he didn't say, Offer him this much money, offer him this amount of money. He said, Offer him this plate of food. He said, Just tell him that the Lord needs it. Well, the Lord needs it. And the owner of the donkey or the owner of the colt is going to say, Okay, you can have it. Now, if you owned the colt, how would you have responded when two guys said, We need your colt. The Lord needs it. You'd have said, Right, right, right. Who's the Lord? But God was preparing a way. So Jesus knew that he was going to have to face, or what he was going to have to face in the city of Jerusalem. So his decision to go into Jerusalem must have been one of the most difficult ones that he ever made. Because he knew that the outcome was going to be his death. But this is a week ahead of his death. And he's going to ride into the city on a colt rather than walk into it, which he had so done so many times before. And even though it was a difficult decision, riding this colt into the city was a public declaration that he was a king. 
I didn't know that till I did the study this week. In Zechariah 9, it says, 500 years earlier, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the, fo- the foal of a donkey. So in times of war, conquerors would ride in chariots or upon prancing stallions. But in times of peace, the king would ride a colt to symbolize that peace prevailed. So Jesus, coming into Jerusalem, riding a colt, was declaring that He is a king proclaiming peace. Now it's just the beginning of this great eight-day Passover festival where the Jews remember God's deliverance and their ancestors from Egyptian slavery. Jews from all over the world were gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate. And uh, the city was overflowing. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, had already entered Jerusalem to occupy the Antonia Fortress and the Praetorium. And and it was full of uh, complete of elite and battle-hardened Roman soldiers ready and willing to suppress any attempt uh, to uprise against the Roman rule of the day. Herod Antipas of Galilee and Perea and the one who had imprisoned and beheaded John the Baptist also had arrived with great pomp and and ceremony and circumstance. And no doubt the people were excited and enthused to see all of this pageantry and power. Zechariah 9.9 says, See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, and a foal, fowl of a donkey. Wow. So they've seen all the pomp and circumstance, and now they see the king of kings and the prince of peace riding on the donkey. So how would the people respond to it? Well, would they recognize that his kingdom was not of this world, but was of a spiritual kingdom? He was to be a spiritual king. He'd been teaching them for over three years, and they still hadn't gotten the lesson. But there were three faces that he found in the crowd as he came in. Some would greet him with laughter. Some would greet him with laughter. Uh, maybe they'd be amused by what Jesus was doing. After all, he's... It was rather a ridiculous picture, this grown man riding in on a donkey, declaring himself to be king. Perhaps some would think, well, he's a lunatic, living in a world of fantasy, imagining himself to be a king. They would just simply laugh at him. Others would greet him with anger, being upset because they would interpret his riding in the city as arrogance and blasphemy against Almighty God. And then, of course, many would hail him with great joy, welcoming him as an earthly king who's come to reestablish the throne of David and overthrow this evil Roman empire. I mean, they were ready and eager to place the crown on his head. And among the crowds would be people that he had healed. Some had been among the thousands he had fed. Many more had seen some of his miracles and listened as he spoke with authority. They had listened and their lives had been changed. Jesus knew all this. But in Luke 9.51, it tells us, in spite of all that, Jesus still resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Jesus rides toward the gate of the city. 
as Jesus rides down toward the gate of the city, the crowds are growing and there's a festive air about the Passover and the pilgrims are gathering from far and near for this great Jewish holiday. Even before Jesus arrived, the news had spread that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. You can imagine the excitement that prevailed here as Jesus was coming into the city. Have you heard the news? Lazarus died and was buried in a tomb so long that his body was starting to decay. But this teacher from Nazareth called, Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus, come forth! I saw him. They stripped away the grave clothes. And he actually walked and breathed and lived again. Surely only Messiah could do that. News traveled from one person to another. Finally, when Jesus was ready to enter the city, great crowds collected on both sides of the road. They had palm branches and they were shouting, Hosanna to the King. They were excited. The whole city was abuzz. Then Jesus looks over His waiting audience and He must have seen the mixture of expressions on their faces. There were those who loved Him. Uh, perhaps Bartimaeus was there. You know, remember, he was the man who received sight, no longer in his beggar's rags. How about Zacchaeus? He had paid back his debt to society and made his peace with God. How about the lepers? Their skin had been cleansed, and now they were rejoicing for the healing that the Lord had given them. How about Jairus' daughter, who was dead but was brought back to life? How about Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene? They were all there. Lives that had been changed and reflected the love in their hearts for their Savior, Jesus Christ. Then there were also the sinister faces, faces with squinty eyes, waiting for Him to say one wrong word or to make one mistake. He must be the President of the United States. (laughs) And it doesn't matter what party you're in, everybody, the skeptical eyes are looking for that one word, aren't they? That one thing. Well, they're coming after you. That may be happening at your job right now. Somebody's watching you like that. That's hard to work like that, isn't it? It's terrible to work like that. It's hard. Pharisees and Sadducees, they were also there. I mean, they were supposed to be the keepers of the law, the spiritual leaders, but Jesus had gained so much popularity that they felt threatened, full of jealousy, as they watched Him ride in. The Romans were there, fearing revolt, watching for any sign of rebellion against Rome, ready to crush any uprising. And then Jesus realized as His listeners began to shout, or His people began to shout, Hosanna, and it filled His ears, Soon the sinister voices would drown out the voices of love that those crying for Him to be king would soon be crying, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Or say nothing at all. So Jesus is descending along the road from the Mount of Olives, across the brook, toward the gate, and the crowds thronging around Him. If you ever go to Jerusalem, you'll stop in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. And you will look down the valley. It will go down and come back up. And you'll see the eastern gate. And it's all blocked in. It's got bricks and it's bricked in. 
And every day our guide will go by there, and she said this to us. We went by there three days in a row. She said, we always have the driver drive by because I want to see if the Messiah has come. And we're all on the bus going, he's already been here, dear. He's already been. But you see, the Jew is still blind to who Jesus was. So, and I was, wondering, I was wondering as I was preparing this, how the apostles were reacting to all this. I've always thought that Judas was probably ecstatic, basking in the reflected glory, because Judas may have wanted an earthly kingdom more than all the others did. But I imagine that Peter walked with his chest expanded, enjoying the limelight. <clears throat> Every year I get to watch the players. They get into the playoffs in, in, in high school. and Those guys that don't play much, the farther in the playoffs they get, the more broader their chests are. And the more confident and cocky they become. They don't have to play the game, so it doesn't really matter. You see what I'm saying? But boy, there are rejoicing in all of the goodness that, that those starters bring to them. Well, we're all kind of like that too, aren't we? And I imagine Peter was. He probably said, man, I was glad I left my fish nets and the boats stunk anyway. Now, this is the kind of accolades and this is what I deserve. I deserve all this praise and honor and glory and adoration. I'm surprised he didn't knock Jesus off the donkey and jump on himself. And then there's Thomas, a big skeptical, but everything was going on, wondering what was going to happen next. You see, Thomas was always looking around the corner. You know anybody like that? They can't see the blessing of the moment. They've got to look around the corner. Oh, yeah, but boy, dark clouds are coming. <laughs> it could be raining sunshine. Dark clouds are coming. <clears throat> There's a threat of tornadoes. Oh, my gosh, get in the cellar. <laughs> Not in Oklahoma. We sat on the porch and wait for it. That's what my grandmother told me. Just go out on the porch and wait for it. I said, what do you do then? She said, you better run. <laughs> Andrew, overwhelmed by it all. He remembered bringing Peter to the Lord. James and John, thinking about Jesus being crowned king so they could be at his right and his left hand. I mean, hey, whoa, hey, yeah, I'm ready. Woo! Then there were those loving faces, sinister faces, and then there were anxious apostles all within the crowd as he proceeded. Then suddenly the whole procession stopped. It's kind of like how it stops at rush hour. You know, you can be, boy, you're making great time, and all of a sudden, bump you down to nothing. We have a number of people who work downtown Tulsa. Anybody in here work downtown Tulsa? If you take Highway 75, starting in the morning, find an alternate route. They're going to start resurfacing, not one side, but both sides. So I would recommend jump on the other side and drive it. <laughs> don't do that. Some of you will. No, don't do that. But you remember how it is when you're in a rush? Boy, you're, just, you're making good time and all of a sudden, boom, down to nothing. Somebody's had a little fender bender and it just, it, or they're doing road construction. That seems like it is in Tulsa. It's all about road construction. Don't you just want to get out and get the rubber cones and beat those people that are on the side of the road? I mean, come on. You could put your car in neutral and it would roll past you in time for you to hit that guy and get back in your car. I mean, it's okay. 
And they're not going anywhere anyway. But the people that were closest to Jesus, they realized that it was He who was stopping the parade. And they saw His body begin to shake. And maybe at, at first they thought He was laughing. Because, I mean, it, it could be just full of joy and happiness. And, but then they saw His face. And they saw no evidence of laughter. Rather, they saw sorrow and they saw tears beginning to run down His face. And it wasn't laughing that they saw, it was crying that they saw. The Scripture tells us that Jesus reacted emotionally many times from different scenes that He saw. When He saw the poor, when He saw the hunger, when He saw people sinning, when He saw those that were ill, the Scripture repeatedly says, and He had compassion on them. But it only tells us of two times that Jesus cried. One time He cried at the grave of Lazarus when Mary and Martha were both weeping. And it says that Jesus wept with them. And He wept for them. And then He entered into their grief with compassion. He identified with their sorrow and their despair. So, But why was Jesus crying now? Here's the second occasion. And Why was He crying? He looked at the city of Jerusalem. He saw the mixture of faces and the masses of humanity. And He realized the emptiness of their lives. They had not heard the message of peace. They did not understand the purpose of His coming. And, and in Luke 19, let's jump, jump back there in verse 41. It says, As He approached Jerusalem and saw the city, He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hill line on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They had eyes, but they didn't see. They had ears, but they didn't hear. They missed the whole point of the message. The fact that they waved palm branches show that they didn't understand because that's exactly what their great-grandparents had done when the Maccabees overthrew the Syrian oppressors and reestablished worship in the temple. They waved palm branches. They were showing that they were expected Jesus to be another warlord, another general of the armies, one who would lead them to overthrow the Romans. They were saying that they were ready to pick up their swords and shields and go to war if He would lead them. In Matthew 5.44, Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In Matthew 5.39, it says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Also, if someone wants you to sue you and take take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go with him one mile, go with him two miles. And those people who listened to him must have thought, well, those are great words, but surely he doesn't mean Rome. He doesn't expect us to love Rome. Only a lunatic would command us to love Rome. We can't love Rome. I can't love that neighbor who keeps abusing my dog. I can't love that neighbor who took all of my stuff and borrowed it. And I've never gotten it back. But he's really saying, love 
even Rome, because Rome with her mighty army has seen the power of the sword. But Rome has not seen the power of love. When you show love, great things can happen. A friend of mine and his wife, he's a preacher and his wife, were out eating dinner last night. Read this post on Facebook. Just brought tears to my eyes and a joy in my heart. As they were sitting at dinner, his wife noticed a Middle Eastern couple sitting on the other side of the restaurant. For whatever reason, she felt compelled to get up and go over and talk to them. And she said, where are you from? They said, Syria. She said, I want to pray for you. And so just before she prayed, the woman jumped up and hugged her and said, thank you. Thank you. She prayed for him and then she went back to her table and she was crying. And the preacher husband, he said, you know, I think God was smiling tonight. When we reach across the aisle and we love people who disagree with us, when we love people in spite of whatever it is that's dividing us, Almighty God is pleased. Almighty God is pleased. So he's telling them, love even though they are your enemies. You see, the nation of Israel had the opportunity to show Rome something new and different. But because they didn't understand Jesus, because they completely misunderstood his mission, Jesus wept over them because the opportunity would be taken away and they would never have it again. These were God's people. People God chose. God had loved them and led them across the wilderness into the promised land. But they did not understand the Messiah when He walked in their midst. They didn't get it. So Jesus wept. What a contrast. He sits on the beast of burdens, seeing the towering temple of God silhouetted against the sky. And beyond that, in the years immediately ahead, He sees the armies of Titus Surrounding the whole city. He sees the temple stones being taken down. Whole city leveled. Sees bodies in the streets. Blood running in the gutters. And hundreds of thousands of people crying because they are starving to death. While Titus waits for Jerusalem to surrender. All of that because they didn't recognize the Messiah when He came. How different their lives could have been. How different the history of Israel could have been if they had only recognized the one who came into their midst riding on a colt. Matthew 23, Luke 13. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. <clears throat> Today, like the city of Jerusalem, we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus. And I wonder... What he finds when he looks at our faces. Does he see people concerned about so many things? Worried about income taxes? Worried about job security? Worried about health? Worried about lack of this? Lack of that? Does he see people who are so busy doing things and so busy that they never bother to consider those things that are eternally important? Does he see people who recognize him for who he is? The Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God? And when He turns and looks into our lives, I wonder, will He weep? Once again, will He weep because of what He sees? Or will He have the joy that passes all understanding? And will He respond to His outstretched arms and hear Him say, Well done, good 
and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Father, I ask you this morning. Is there one person here battling, battling so hard that they've become weary? Father, is there one person here who would say, God, I need to come to you and see you for the peace that you can bring? God, peace with you can never happen until there's a total surrender on our side of our hearts and our lives to you. And it's very simple. We just simply have to believe that you can do what you've said you've done. And with that faith, begin to live in a way that's different than the world. To live in a way that brings honor and glory to you and to your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that will guide us and prompt us and prick us and prod us when we need it. God, is there one that needs a burden lifted today? And would they respond? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great song.